this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we're joined by the ESPN analyst and former head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars and Oakland Raiders, Jack Del Rio, who's off to cover the game this weekend between the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans, a big battle in the AFC South. And we'll be joined by the former offensive line coach for the Dallas Cowboys and Cincinnati Bengals, Paul Alexander, who a couple of weeks ago suffered a heart attack that changed his perspective. And we'll take questions from you, the listener. But first, Jack Del Rio. Now we welcome in the former NFL player, the former NFL coach, the now television and radio analyst, Jack Del Rio. And Jack, I'm curious, do more people remember you as a player, coach, broadcaster? How do people think of you these days? Well, most people say coach. <laughs> they So that's what they remember, you know, last. But, you know, it just depends on where I am. Like if I'm down in New Orleans, people will say, hey, I remember when you played here at linebacker, you know, back back in 1985. Right. And so, yeah, it's just it just depends on uh, where and when. But a lot of coach. You, you ever think of the journey? Like you bring up the Saints, and it was the Saints, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Vikings, the Dolphins from 1985 through 1996. Then you went and coached in New Orleans, Baltimore, Carolina, Jacksonville, Denver, Oakland. That is a lot of NFL stops from 1985 through 2017, Jack. You ever get tired of moving around like that? Well, you got to talk to my wife about that. <laughs> she handles everything? She she, she did. She was, she was amazing uh, handling all that stuff. So, yeah, our family you know, learned how to move. Um, and uh, listen, the, the NFL is about you know, your, your opportunities. And so some of the moves were, or most of the moves were, you know, were positive things, you know, going to get paid as a player in free agency or, you know, with the, as a coach going to become a defensive coordinator or going to become a head coach. So yeah, those things were, you know, those were moves that were happy moves, but that's a lot of moves. Yeah, it's a lot. And so how do you become more adept at moving? How does she do it? How did your wife manage that? Uh, she just did. I mean, she had it. She had it wired. I mean, really, she talks about writing a book, and she should because just to share some of the wisdom, you know, that she uh, that she learned along the way. I mean, valuable lessons on do's and don'ts, and you know, we obviously our 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 family was very important to us, and and getting them in in good situations. So that was a that was a promise that I made as we, you know, went on this journey to to play and coach in the league for thirty four years, like I did and like I have. And, and, and hopefully still continue at some point. But, but, you know, that was what we said was we're going to put family first. And so, you know, good schools and good neighborhoods and things like that. And, and, um, and so that's what we did. You said continue, and we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to just ask you first, give me a do and a don't about moving. Uh, well, I'll tell you one that Tony Dungy gave me as a head coach. I said, Tony, you know, you're, you're like a mentor to me. What would you recommend as a, as a new head coach? And he said, well, he said really a couple things. He said, you know, take your time on your staff, which, of course, I didn't. And then the other was, make sure you get behind a gate, a gated community. Hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I didn't do that either. So, like, I didn't listen to my mentor. And then, you know, uh, you know obviously, uh, getting behind a gate is a good idea as a head coach. Why is that? Uh, just, just. Issues that can come up, fans that uh, overzealous, excitable, whatever it might be. Um, I mean, I would have guys that would pull up in the middle of the night and just like, that's Coach's house, you know, and yeah, let's get Coach up. And, uh, you know, so I was, I was down in New Orleans and, yeah, and I'd have people laying on their horn at 1 and 2 in the morning um, 
I, wow. I told you that was coach. <laughs> yeah, so there he is coming out. Uh, so you know stuff like that, and and uh, eventually we we actually had we had a couple break-ins that forced us to um, get off the river. We were on the river. Yep. And uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful home, but we we had some break-ins. So you know, from a safety standpoint as well, getting behind a getting behind a gate just made sense. Those break-ins were in New Orleans. No, they were in Jacksonville. In Jacksonville. And and were, did did they get away with a lot of stuff? Like lose anything valuable? If you don't mind me asking. Well, valuable in that like things like my grandfather, who has since passed away, but he gave me you know some mementos, and um, they were they weren't you know worth a lot of money, but they were very valuable to me, uh, and stuff like that you know taken. So um, yeah, there were there were some valuables, but it wasn't it wasn't. A matter of that as much as just being invaded, you know. Right. Oh yeah, it's a terrible feeling, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, like you know, like my son Luke. I mean, he he was a young youngster at the time, but you know, he wouldn't even sleep in his own bed. He was like, "There's no way, man," because they came in, they came in <laughs> by his room. So I was like, "There's no way I'm uh, there's no way I'm gonna be in that room by myself when when these people come in." So how long did uh, Luke sleep with you and your wife for? Uh, it was until we sold that house. Wow. <laughs> it's a long time. Uh, it, was, it was a little bit of time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, You know, it's funny. Well, not funny. I, I had something in Denver when I lived there. My car was in my garage. My grandfather had given me his golf clubs. And I walked out one day and someone had broken into the car and taken the golf clubs that my grandfather had given me. They weren't especially valuable golf clubs. They weren't anything new or right. innovative, but they were his and That's they were right. gone. And to this day, it still pisses me off. Yeah, something that comes from a family member like that that has been passed down that, you know, you just you cherish that. So, yeah. So now you've transitioned from being a player and being a coach into broadcasting, and you are working for ESPN as an analyst, and you're doing games on the weekends on ESPN Radio. You did the Browns-Seahawks this past weekend. You're doing the Colts-Texans this weekend. What is that like for you? It's been great. You know, it's been uh, – it's a lot of fun to be. I mean, the one thing that you really miss about you know coaching and playing is being there on game day. You know, it's uh, you know, you you know during the week. I mean, the grind is it's it's just part of the job. But what you really love about it is uh, is game day, and so you get a little little taste of it. You know, you're not you know you're not not competing yourself, not directly vested with one team or the other, but to be there at the game site to see. See uh, old friends and familiar faces, and um, you know, you know, to see the crowd, uh, the atmosphere. I mean, this this weekend in Cleveland, that that crowd was so hungry for for a win, and uh, you know, they got their heart ripped hearts uh, ripped out by Russell Wilson once once again. Russell brings a team back, which he's done, I think, thirty times now. He's but, incredible. Uh, he's amazing. But uh, yeah, I mean, just that that experience, you know, that that you can't get anywhere else. You know, at a game site, and um, and then to be able to call the game, talk about a game that I know and love so much, uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Do you remember you? I think you were in Jacksonville. Oh no, you no, no was Russell Wilson in the draft? No, you were in Denver when Russell Wilson was drafted. Yep. Let me let me just tell you about Denver. He he came through our building, and he was so impressive. Russell just wasn't tall enough. You know, for what John wanted. I mean, but you know, everything else he loved about him. I mean, he came in. He's got a big hand. He's got a strong presence. You know, he'd look you in the eye. You, had, you could just tell he he was a man. Um, and and you know, obviously, you know, he he was mobile and he did a lot of things that you covet. You know, accurate and can th- really throw. Really a good athlete. He just didn't. 
kind of meet that height threshold. So a lot of people passed on him, and he he's sure making them regret that. You know what's amazing about that? I can't tell you how many teams I've had say to me, post facto, of course, that they were going to take Russell Wilson. The Redskins loved him, even though they took RG3 in the same draft. And we're going to take him at the start of the fourth round and when he was gone, right before they wound up taking Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. The Philadelphia Eagles loved Russell Wilson. The Indianapolis Colts loved Russell Wilson. But the Seahawks were the one team that jumped out in front at 75 and took Russell Wilson in that spot. And it's amazing how one pick of one player change, changes the fortunes of franchises and men alike. Well, that's right. No, I mean, it's, you know, you look at a story like that and you say they loved, they, all those teams loved him, yet he made it to 75. So, you know, you didn't love him that much or you, you would have jumped up and took him earlier. But, I, you know, it's a great story in terms of what he's done, you know, with his time in, in Seattle and, uh, and it's not anywhere close to being done. I mean, they, they, they're doing some good things and, and he's leading the way. We'll be back with more in a moment from Jack Del Rio, but first a word from Vivid Seats. We all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team. With the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can attend the concert or show of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. All you need to do is use the Vivid Seats app to purchase tickets and start earning today. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter the promo code ESPN25 for 10% off your next order. That's ESPN25 for 10% off your next order. More from the former Jaguars and Raiders head coach, Jack Del Rio. Jack, you have the Texans and the Colts this weekend. Both teams been very impressive. The Colts are coming off a bye week, but the week before they beat Kansas City in Kansas City. The Texans also won in Kansas City. So this is a matchup of two teams who have each won their most recent game in Kansas City against the Chiefs, a very tough spot to play. What do you anticipate this Sunday from those two teams? Well, it should be a, a, a great ball game. Looking forward to calling it. And, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about the the importance of a divisional game. You know, uh, this is the first meeting of the two teams. And, um, you know, first place is at stake. Who's Who's got an opportunity? Houston's got an opportunity to go to 5-2 and two and put some distance between. It would be become the 3-3 three and three Colts that they're able to win. And then the Colts, obviously, are looking to get to 4-2. and two. And uh, and and have and be in first place and have uh, Houston behind them at four and three. So it's a, it's a big divisional matchup. It's an early season matchup. I, I think the Colts have surprised a little bit. You know, a lot of people anticipated them having more struggles with with Andrew out, uh, with Andrew deciding to retire. And uh, Jacoby Brissett has been has been really solid for him. And so, yeah, I mean, I you know, to me, the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson, I, he, he's just amazing. I, I, I called the game out in, uh, in L.A. with the Chargers, and to watch him play live like that, I, I saw them in training camp this year. Uh, Coach O'Brien uh, allowed me to come visit for a couple of days, and um, 
I just I'm really impressed. I think you know his command, Deshaun's command, and and, and leadership, and arm talent, and athleticism. And all those things, you know, I, I just, he's special. I mean, he really is special. You know, we bring up one pick changing the fortunes of franchises. The Chargers considered Deshaun Watson, ultimately picked Mike Williams, who's a very good player. Right. But Deshaun Watson wound up going to Houston and look at what he's done. If you were coaching today, who's the one quarterback you'd want to start your franchise with? Would it be Deshaun? Would it be Patrick Mahomes? Would it be somebody else? Uh, yeah, I think I think those two and, and uh, Russell Wilson, that's, to me, I'd probably I'd probably want one of those three. I you know I'd take either one of those. I mean they're they're all fantastic. I mean I I uh, I, I would I, you know to me those are those are career changing type of guys. You get a guy like that and you're able to coach that kind of guy. Uh, you, you can you can be special for a long time in this league. If you had gotten a guy like that in Jacksonville, would you still be coaching there? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the one guy that got away there that you wish you had gotten that somehow eluded you in Jacksonville? You know, there was there, there. You can't you can't look at it that way. I mean, what we did, you know, Ben Roethlisberger comes along, you know, the year after we took two thousand four. Yeah, so you know, like we had just taken a quarterback, but he was available to us. <laughs> I would have loved to have jumped on him. So you know, you just you just you can't play it that way. You do the best you can with the situation you find yourself in, and and obviously you, you understand that getting one of those guys does change, you know, the trajectory of your career. Now, you mentioned the idea of one day getting back into coaching. Is that something that you desire to do one day? Well, I'll tell you, what I'm, what I'm doing right now, uh, I've, I've got my options open. I've got an eye for uh, possibilities, but re- I'm really enjoying doing what I'm doing now. I think, you know, to me, be in the moment. I've always, I've always wanted to be in the moment. You know, I was never a coach, even as I was preparing for um, – you know, what I was doing, that was always first and foremost, as opposed to like, what's your next opportunity, you know? So, you know, I don't believe in having one foot out the door. I mean, to me, do, do what you're doing and do it to the best of your ability. And I'm enjoying this part. I'm enjoying, you know, talking the game, being around the game, um, and, uh, and looking at the game, uh, from a different vantage point, you know? So you spend, I spent, you know, good part of 12 years playing and, uh, and then I've been the last, 22 or whatever coaching and so this is a different view you know from the from the media side and an analyst side and um the preparation and the work that goes into doing a good job at that and uh so i'm just attacking this and having a lot of fun with it right now what has surprised you most about being a broadcaster i don't know that i've really been surprised no i I, you know to me it's um you know, the the amount of prep that goes into it does not surprise me. I, it, yeah. I kind of anticipated that that would be a part of it, and it is. Uh, it's a better lifestyle than coaching, isn't it, Jack? Well, it's a more balanced life. A, yeah, a little bit, a little bit more balanced. It depends on where you're going. I've been I've been doing a lot of traveling, so heck, I'm spending more time in my suitcase on the road now than I ever did. So, uh, there, you know, there's some work involved too, as far as getting around and being places where you want to be. And traveling is work. Coming from a guy who was in Green Bay last night, is in Chicago this morning, is trying to make his way back to New York to be home with his wife who broke her foot last night and can't be back there right now. You understand the travel problems that come up all the time, right? Not a fun thing. No question. No question. But that's part of it. And, you know, we just just do that part and think about the positives of what we get to do. Well, Jack, I appreciate taking some time today. Uh, Happy to have you as a member of the ESPN team. Hope it lasts, but... Have a sense it won't. Have a sense we'll, you'll be back on the sidelines and perhaps I'll be badgering you for some type of injury information or trade information or something about which quarterback you are going to take for your next team. You got it. You got it, Adam. Great being on with you, man. 
Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. We should ask Adam. We're bringing back a feature we haven't had in a little while, but figured it was about time to start answering some listeners' questions. And so I'm bringing on my producer, the great Travis Rockhold, who fielded and solicited some of these questions to pass along, and hopefully we get to as many questions as we can. What do we got, Travis? I don't know about great, but I'll take that, uh, Adam. Thank you very much. The first one comes from at Mixologist215. Do the Philadelphia Eagles have the necessary pieces at wide receiver and cornerback positions to make a run in the playoffs, or are there pieces that are obtainable for them to make that run? That's a good question, Travis. What I would say is this, that the Eagles are always going to be one of the most aggressive teams. If we go back to the trade deadline two years ago, they traded for J.H.I. They felt they needed another offensive weapon. Last year, they felt like they needed another offensive weapon again. They went out and traded for Golden Tate. And I think the Philadelphia Eagles will be calling around for, at the very least, cornerbacks to try to bolster that secondary. I think they know they need to do something there. Uh, the question is what they can give up, who they can get. And listen, they're they're 3-3 three and three right now. The season hasn't gone exactly the way they want, but they're still tied with Dallas for first place. And Doug Peterson feels confident in their chances of winning on Sunday against the Cowboys. And if they do that, they're 4-3. and three, They're in first. Uh, the season has not slipped away. This team will get better, but it does have to address some of the needs. What's the next question, Trav? Uh, from at OG underscore gold live, he wants to know any news on Jalen Ramsey trade. Well, as we are taping this at 9.25 a.m. on Tuesday, October 15th, I would just say that I think the Jaguars have not closed the door on trading Jalen Ramsey. And I think I will not be surprised if by the time the trade deadline rolls around on October 29th, if sometime before then they trade him. So it's a fluid situation. It changes by the moment. I just think they're going to be in the market to make a move. I think that they thought he was going to play this weekend. At least the owner did. Shad Khan, he came out and said he expected him to play. He didn't play. Uh, this is a stare down that's gone on. Jalen Ramsey's doing everything he can to force his way out of there. And I think ultimately, in the end, it looks like he's going to get his way. But I don't know how that's going to turn out or when that's going to turn out. Next question comes from at Brown Sports STA1. And this is a topic that's been uh, huge after this weekend. Do you truly believe the NFL officiating needs cleaned up, or are they just trying to make the league extra safe? I think they need to clean it up. I think that if you spoke to teams, the Lions were very unhappy after the game last night, speaking to some of them. Um, And I think the league has got to do something to at least give the idea that it's trying to improve what has gone on. We saw a couple of calls on Monday night, really three calls, the Tracy Walker play where he hit – Geronimo Allison going for the ball. It didn't really look like he did anything wrong. It was a violent hit, but it was not illegal in my mind. And then you had the two plays that Trey Flowers were whistled on. Um, unnecessary roughness or hands to the face or whatever you want to call that. And I know the NFL talked about having a sky cam during the spring last year, and they ultimately decided not to do it. And I think the coaches wanted to do that. It wouldn't surprise me if we go back to – getting some more conversation about a sky cam or at least another way to get another set of eyes on this uh, to try to help prevent the type of controversies that came out of Monday night's win in Green Bay for the Packers. Next question comes from Aaron Judge 99 Is Sam Darnold worth picking up in fantasy? What's your take on Sam Darnold going forward? I am a Sam Darnold believer, subscriber, proponent, however you want to categorize it. Um, if you look... At the Jets' schedule, Travis, coming up here, down the stretch. They have a tough game Monday night against the Patriots. 
after that at Jacksonville, also not easy. But then let me read you the schedule. Okay, you tell me if this is appealing to you. At Miami, Giants, Redskins, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Ravens, Steelers in Week 16, Buffalo Week 17. So th- there's a stretch of games there uh, where Sam Darnold is going to have the chance to have some nice fantasy numbers. And I, I think he definitely is viable, as is Chris Herndon, the Jets' tight end, who I think is going to be very strong. And we saw Robbie Anderson have some role on Sunday, and Le'Veon Bell is Le'Veon Bell. So, yeah, I, I think some of these Jets, including Darnold, are viable for the second half of the season. And last question coming from Luis Gonzalez. Is it time for Dallas to hit the panic button? Well, he's not the only Cowboys fan to ask that question. And they're 3-3 three and three right now. They're tied with the Eagles for first place. Let me just say this, that if somehow they find a way to beat the Eagles in convincing fashion, uh, next week's debate may be, should we give Jason Garrett a contract extension? That's how it is in this league. It's week to week. Uh, we were talking about an extension for Jason Garrett earlier in the year. Everybody was wondering whether he would get one. Now they're saying, should he be fired? And it's just the nature of the world we live in, right? It's very reactionary. It's very hysterical. There's a lot of noise. Let's just take a deep breath, Travis. Let's let the whole thing play out. Let's see how the Cowboys do on Sunday. And then let's decide on Monday whether we want to fire or extend Jason Garrett. All right, Adam, and I got one question myself, and it's about you from last night oh. doing the Lambo leap. Now, before you talk, yeah. I want you to hear what uh, the crew on Get Up had to say this morning. Mm. Everybody want to have a smile on your face? How about Adam Schefter doing the Lambo leap last night? This is Come on. Easy. Let's see it. Oh, no. Come on, Schefter. First of all, no one better than Schefter. Right? Why is Come he on, running like no. that? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Why is he running like that? Look! (laughs) Wait, was that Schefter or was that Gus Farad? Who did it better, him or Mason Crosby? (laughs) Mason, no question. He's off the ground. Hanging on for dear life. They're just holding him up like a child. He looks like he's in a baby Bjorn. So, what was that like, Adam? (laughs) Well, I will say, Travis, uh, I knew I was doing this. And again, I want to preface this by saying I'm 52 years old, not to use it as an excuse or anything, but I had great fear that I was going to blow out my Achilles or my hamstring. I really mean that. And so as we're standing there and we're going through the come on, mans, I know that this moment is coming. I know it's going to be live. And I'm just worried that I'm going to humiliate myself one way or another. We put a poll on Twitter earlier in the day that said, am I going to clear the wall, take a fall or wind up with an ambulance call? And I think 44 percent. The people thought that it would be take a call. 40% thought ambulance call. So the majority thought I wouldn't make it, including myself. I really didn't think I would make it. It's a six foot one and a half wall. I'm five foot seven and a half. And when I went out to look at it pregame, and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So we're sitting there getting ready to do, come on, man. I was, I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. Like I could feel the adrenaline coursing through my body. And so we get done with, come on, man. They say, okay. And I said, oh, my God, here we go. Here we go. And I just start running. And I was embarrassed looking at myself around the video. Uh, I believe that was L. Duncan's voice. I can't see she's right. Well, that's the way I run. And then I noticed my vertical, or should I say lack of vertical, and I was surprised that I got maybe two inches off the ground. I thought I got up higher than that. But I grabbed onto the wall, and people grabbed onto me. And that just goes to show you what teamwork can do, Travis. I'll just say, for a man of your age, in a suit, dress shoes, I've I've seen worse athletes make a jump into the Lambo Leap. So I'll give you credit for everything that you had going against you. You're not a professional athlete. They are, and I, we've seen some bad ones over the years. So I don't think it was that bad. 
Well, again, once I got up, I had a hard time staying up because nobody was holding on to me and I didn't have a great position. And so, again, I stayed up there probably 15 seconds. They said, just make sure you stay up there as long as you can. I did. Uh, came down. When I jumped down, I landed on your feet, hurt my feet. Uh, ironically enough, my wife broke her foot on Monday night. So she was put into a walking boot. And the joke was that she was going to have to get two walking boots, one for her, one for me. But fortunately, I didn't need one. Uh, we hope she's feeling better. And that was the Lambo Leap experience. It's something I'll never forget. Uh, yeah, uh, about four hours later, we saw Mason Crosby do it. Uh, and all I could say to that, Travis, is I, I, I've been there, done that. And so that wraps up this week's version of Ask Adam, including your question, Travis. A good question about the Lambo Leap experience. If anybody else has a question, please tweet it at us. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can tweet at us. Do whatever you need to do. But we appreciate everybody listening and interacting with this podcast. And before we get to the former Cowboys and Bengals offensive line coach, Paul Alexander, first, a word from ZipRecruiter. Cafe El Tourist COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, our next guest is a longtime coach in the NFL, bounced around with the Jets, the Bengals, the Cowboys, has coached the offensive line, has also coached uh, in Europe, coaching college ranks, Penn State, where my parents went to school, Michigan. When I went to school, Paul, I didn't even realize that we went at the same time. But our next guest is Paul Alexander, the former offensive line coach of the Cincinnati Bengals and other teams. Paul, thanks for taking the time today to join us. Hey, Adam, how you doing? You know, it's funny. I brought up Michigan. You were a graduate assistant there in 85 and 86. That was my freshman was. and sophomore year. We were there together, but we never knew each other. No, we didn't. No, it, uh, yeah, I was there. I, I consider myself a Michigan man. I, I coached for Schumbeckler back in those, uh, when Michigan football was a, oh, not such a kinder, gentler thing. Bo was <laughs> and, the best, uh, right? Bo Schumbeckler was the best, oh, right? God. Love him. Oh, my God. What's your best Bo story? What do you got, Paul? You know, you could follow Bo around in one day and write a whole book on everything he did. You know, it, he was amazing. It was like a, it was a walking book. Uh, I remember one day I got there the first year. They were they were six and five. He never had a losing season, but it was the worst uh, season of his life. He'd gone through four quarterbacks, and uh, so the, the coaches they they all kept saying, "Bo, you're too mean. You're too gruff. You're too nasty. You know, you got to be more positive." You know, and like all over the coaches' offices, they had all these signs of positive 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 right yep. so so we're out there in spring practice one day and practice isn't going good and Bo calls the team together and says you guys 
my coaches tell me I'm too old and I'm too gruff and I don't understand today's athletes and I need to be more positive. He said, well, let me tell you one. I am positive. We stink and we're having a horse practice and we're going to start all over again. That's him, right? (laughs) That's him. And let me tell you something. I never met a player or a coach that worked or played for him who didn't love the man. Absolutely idolize the man. And uh, he was a remarkable guy. You know, I'll tell you something. He used to do these Monday press conferences at Weber's Inn. Yeah. And I would go because basically he talked to sports writers. There was like 10 sports writers. I was writing for the Michigan Daily. And the best part about it, I'm a starving college student. They would serve lunch. So I would get like a piece of fish or chicken for lunch. And I'd get to listen to Bo Schembechler every Monday. And to me, it was better than going to class. I would miss school to go listen to Bo and have my free lunch. And at the end of the year, the end of the season, I went over to him and I said, Bo, uh, I said, Coach, I didn't call him Bo, Coach, Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to thank you for everything that you did this season. I learned so much sitting in and listening from you all season long, just tremendous. It was more valuable than any class I took at Michigan. And he slapped my cheek real hard, Paul, and he goes, you like to bullshit, son, don't you? <laughs> and that was him. He was, yeah. He, You know, he gave, I'm not kidding you, every Saturday the exact same word-for-word pregame speech to the team. Uh, you know, after we'd have breakfast, he'd bring the team together. He'd write up his five points on the chalkboard, and he'd go through, and he would give the same speech, virtually word-for-word every week. And let me tell you, when they left, there wasn't a dry eye in the audience. Wow. He could motivate and inspire and say the same thing. I mean, you'd sit there beforehand and you'd say, okay, he's not going to, he's not going to get my emotions this time. I know what he's going to say, you know, and he would. And uh, he, he, he just had a passion in him that, that was uh, just drove you to want to be great. Uh, you know, he reminded me of my grandfather. I just love listening to the guy. I think about him often, really the first, one of the very first coaches I ever covered on a major sport, and he's somebody that holds a dear spot in your heart, my heart, and the hearts of many Michigan fans. Right, Paul? I mean, that's really the best way of saying it. Sure. Now, the reason I reached out to you this week, some people wondering, why is Adam having Paul Alexander on his podcast this week? And the reason I am, in part, other than I wanted to reach out, was you tweeted over the weekend, and I'm going to read this so the people who haven't read it or seen it hear about it. Heart attack in all capital letters. Heart attack. Yeah, true story. 14 days ago, great ER team saved me, stented me up, as good as new. Lucky, and I've reconciled my purpose. So much more to share. When we die, we can't take our gifts and knowledge with us. And so I tweet, grateful to give forward. So there's a lot to unpack there, Paul. But I want to start by saying, what happened here? How do you know you're having a heart attack? And what was the situation? I tell this story, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story, Adam, and your listeners, hoping that maybe someone can learn from it to help them out in a tough situation. Uh, anyways, I, I was outside staining my deck. It was 94 degrees. It was hotter than hell. It was humid. I'm having a great time. I love doing that stuff now. And uh, after two hours, I come in. I'm sweating like a crazy I go up, I take a shower, I lay down in my bed underneath the ceiling fan because it's really, I'm really hot and I'm burning, I'm burning up and I think I'm having heat stress. And I remembered, oh, unfortunately, I lived through the era with Corey Stringer and there was a, a whole bunch of 
training that went on about heat stress and how if you don't control it, if you get hot and your body keeps getting hot and it doesn't stop, that you got to take care of it because uh, the mortality rate is high. Heat stress becomes heat stroke. So anyways, I'm experiencing this and I call my wife up and I say, you know, feel me. I I feel real hot. She said, my God, you are hot. And I said, we got to go to the emergency. We got to call 911. I said, "Uh, uh, this isn't right. I think I I have heat stress. And uh, she says, well, I'll take you to the emergency room. And she chose that because we only live two miles from the hospital. So, so, So we go and halfway to the hospital, my chest starts cramping up and I start to get numbness in my fingers and I grab the phone and I call 911 and I tell them to tell the hospital we're on our way that I think I'm having a heart attack. So I walk in, I uh, tell the triage person that and literally within 30 minutes I was in the operating room uh, where they put a stent in me and uh, I had a blockage in my Widowmaker artery, uh, a complete blockage, which they call is the definition of a massive heart attack. And uh, but they got it, they got it, they saved me. That's why I say they saved me. They put a stent in it, and uh, I had a test uh, over the weekend, which is why I tweeted it. Mm-hmm. The test was I'm I'm 100 percent normal. I've got a healthy heart. There was no damage. Um, they fix one stented area. Of course, there needs to be some lifestyle changes. But other than that, I'm happy and I'm thankful and I'm grateful that, oh, through the different trainings and seminars that the NFL does a great job that I was able to learn and recognize that this wasn't right. That, that, that Widowmaker scares me, Paul. Yeah, it, it's uh, the main, it's uh, it's the uh, uh, left interior, uh, the LAD, it's called, uh, uh, artery that goes into the heart that supplies the majority of the blood. And uh, it's it's the one that when people just fall down and collapse and die, that's the one that gets clogged up. Yeah. And uh, so so that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the point. Very scary. You know, you wrote in that tweet, when we die, we can't take our gifts and knowledge with us. And so I tweet, uh, so much more to share. What what do you take from an experience like that? What what does it do to your perspective? Well, well, this is this is what happened. Uh, oh, I had gone thirty five years uh, and never got fired in coaching, which is impossible. Uh, you know, major college, NFL, all that kind of stuff. I was very fortunate in my career, and I went to the Cowboys. And uh, eight months later, uh, they decided to make a change. <laughs> so there we go. So the last oh year now. I've been doing a lot of this. I've been tweeting football stuff, you know, sharing. Uh, I've been around the world. I've been to Germany. I've been to London. I've been to Scotland. I'm going to Japan. Uh, I've been to 60 different high schools and colleges in the United States uh, doing clinics with coaches and kids and players and all kinds of students and assemblies and all that. And that's kind of what I've done. Mm-hmm. I've had this time, you know, because I've, still on contract and and I've really enjoyed it and uh, when I had this heart attack I've kind of recognized that what I'm doing is what I should be doing I've been fortunate to be around great coaches and a great game and I've learned a lot of football and I've learned a lot about life and competition and performing under pressure and all those different things that I like to talk about 
And I think that's what I need to keep doing. Because, like I said, there's so many... In coaching, there's all these secrets. You know, you don't tell what you know. You know, you figure that... <laughs> It's your secrets, it's your knowledge that will uh, uh, help get you to the next job or help you win the next game or whatever. And and maybe my last game has come. And maybe my next game is teaching others and sharing the game with them. And um, so that's what that's what I take out of it. And I'm really... Uh, I'm really excited to do that. Now, you mentioned you're still under contract. So are the Dallas Cowboys still paying you today? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Okay. So th- you're under contract to the Cowboys still. You're with the Cowboys in 2018. Let go. When you say you take these coaching secrets with you and you don't really share them, what coaching secrets did you pick up over the years? What would you tell a young coach now about entering and succeeding in the profession? Uh, well, if someone wants to go into coaching, number one, uh, it's a great profession. Uh, it's it's very um, rewarding. There's a couple things. I think number one, uh, great coaches find their uh, satisfaction from the success of watching their players succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that being up for the right reasons. You know that that if you go in and you're in there to help uh, young men grow, uh, that's the right reason. And then study the game, learn the game, and the game constantly changes. The game is so different than it was a year ago, uh, not to say 35 years ago when I first started. And you have to stay current, and you have to stay ahead of the curve, really. You have to think, you know, what is next? Because once you do something that everyone else is doing, it's passed you by. So there's a number of things. I, I the, the biggest thing is one be in it for the players, realize that coaching is a service position. Um, it's not a glorification position. It's a, uh, it's something where you are, uh, Oh, you're, you're much like a, you know, a policeman or a fireman or a nurse or a doctor that you're there to serve others. And, uh, I think if you go in with that motivation, how closely do you watch the Dallas offensive line that you coached last year, Paul? Uh, Oh, I watch them every week. I, I watch, I get all kinds of film, and I watch a ton of film. I I uh, I stay current, and uh, I don't comment on Dallas right now until my contract is up okay. because, um, you know, I'm I'm not allowed to under contract reasons. I got and, it. Uh, Do you want to coach again, Paul? I don't know. I'm oh. coaching now. I coach. I coach my thirteen thousand followers on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. Right. And they retweet to their people. And, and maybe in many ways, maybe I'm coaching thousands of football players and coaches every day. And uh, I, I like that. Who was, in all your years of coaching, from Penn State in the early 80s to Michigan to Central Michigan to the Jets and Bengals and Cowboys, who was the offensive lineman that impressed you most? Well, the first great player that I coached was Jumbo Elliott at Michigan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was the first big man, and he was tough as nails. And, oh, my God, was he good. Um, loved big Jumbo. He was a great player for the Giants, of course. And uh, oh, then uh, the greatest player that I coached was Willie Anderson, the right tackle for the Bengals for many years, who always oh, a Hall of Fame candidate. And he was an amazing guy. He went he went 12 seasons in the NFL and gave up 13 sacks. 
which is unbelievable. And I graded them, so they're accurate. And uh, I don't know. I've coached so many great, great players. I coached 15 guys that were either pro bowlers or alternates to the pro bowl. Wow. 15 different guys. They ever take you to the pro bowl with them, Paul? Uh, yeah, Willie Anderson did, and Andrew Whitworth did. Yeah, Andrew, yeah. Andrew's a great guy. I don't know Willie very well at all. I don't think I've ever met Willie, but Andrew's a great man. Oh, he is. He, he, he I like to say he's twenty-four karat man is what he is. He is, he is solid and mature and tough and dedicated and and he is everything you want a football player to be. Other, uh, and you know, obviously a great player and a great athlete as well. That guy Whitworth is six foot eight, three hundred forty pounds, and he's if he wanted to be, he'd be a scratch golfer. I mean, we'd have a, we had a competition one spring, a superstar competition, uh, and we had this event where you threw the football through the hoop. The quarterbacks weren't allowed to do it, but of all the, the he won it. You know, wow. our left tackle, wow. you know, can throw a football better than anyone who's not a quarterback on our team. And uh, he was that kind of athlete. And you, you mix that athleticism with uh, the attitude and the dedication that he has. And it's why he's, you know, was he 36 years old now? Uh, yeah. I don't know, 40, 50? I don't know how old he is, but he's old. Uh, let me ask you this final question, Paul, before I let you go, and I thank you very much for your time. Why do you think there is the lack of offensive linemen, good offensive linemen in the NFL today? Uh, I, th- I think the game has changed. Uh, I, th- I think I think the answer is that in the change of the game, uh, when the game was m- a more running game, it's easier to block. You know, all linemen like to run block. You know, if you ask them, what should we do? They'd say, hey, we need to run the ball. Well, run blocking is easier than pass blocking. Um, you get to come off the ball. You're more aggressive. And, and so you start with a total number of plays. If you've got more pass plays in a game, then you've got more exposures to fail, more difficult jobs. And as the game has changed with more passing and less running, uh, it's it's put the premium linemen to, you know, it's made it harder. So I think it, I think that change in the game that that has made their jobs harder and consequently makes it look like they're not as good as they were. Hmm. There's some awfully talented guys. There's just as many talented offensive linemen now, or maybe more than days before. But um, but the passing game has also influenced the defense, where now everyone on defense, they're faster, they're quicker, they're more athletic because they have to rush the passer, and they're kind of built that way to rush the passer. And if you've got these big offensive linemen, and you know, and they're going against great quick athletes, uh, you know they're going to get exposed some, so I think I think it has as it's as much a function of the style of the game now. That's one. Number two, I do think that the restrictions in college that they have on the players isn't right. I go to colleges now, uh, and the biggest restriction really is not necessarily the twenty-hour rule that they spend because. Uh, the time hasn't really changed, but what's changed is the coaching, the recruiting. The college coach today spends virtually his whole life recruiting. He's on social media, he's contacting kids, he's traveling, and then they go to practice and they coach a little bit. 
I am dumbfounded because I, I do a lot of training. I work with a lot of guys getting ready for the draft and, you know, a lot of the top high school kids and all that stuff this year. And it is staggering to me the things that they don't know, basic fundamentals that years ago all the kids knew because the coaches were there teaching and coaching and working with the kids, you know, rather than running around with a chicken with their head cut off. So I think it's a combination of the training and that they uh, don't get as well now and the combination of, uh, you know, the change in the game and the, and the requirements that they have to do. Well, Paul, I want to, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time today for coaching up my listeners to this podcast, uh, for coaching up all the people who follow you on Twitter. We'll tweet out this podcast as well. So maybe you can coach up even more people. And it's been too long since we've had the pleasure to speak on the phone like this. I thank you for the time, and I'm very glad to hear that you're doing better and wish you continued success in your recovery. Okay. Thanks, Adam. A special thank you to my new friend, Paul Alexander, who is taking the year off from football, still on the Dallas Cowboys payroll, and obviously enjoying his life and dispensing much wisdom that he's picked up all along the way. Special thanks to Paul Alexander. Special thanks to Jack Del Rio, my colleague at ESPN, the former NFL head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Oakland Raiders. Have a feeling he won't be sticking around ESPN too long, but we'll see how that works out. And thank you to the listener for your Ask Adam questions and for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Be sure to check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast. This week he discusses the struggles going on in Dallas. And remember to subscribe to the Bill Barnwell Show and the Adam Schefter podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening this week, everybody. We'll be back next week. Have a great week.